I was an EMS medical director and uh, one of my agencies wanted to innovate and they thought that this might be an interesting idea. So I funded this with my own capital for two years and measured every aspect of the care delivery. So there was no outside funding. I just wanted to make sure that clinically the model worked. Day one opens and then what? And the phone didn't ring, <laughs> right? We had no idea how to go out and drive patients uh, into this model. So we decided to tackle the hard stuff, which is on demand, you know, when the accidents happen, the moment you're sick, uh, which really nobody's replicated. And that's because it is really, really hard. Welcome to the ProCo 360 podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting ProCo 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs and leaders and sharing my conversations with them with you. My guests have figured out how to build very successful businesses while being collaborative, enjoying all that Colorado has to offer, and doing that with other talented people who are glad to be here. This episode is with Dr. Mark Prather, CEO and co-founder of Dispatch Health. You've heard the expression, everything old is new again. Well, that's about right with Dispatch Health. It's bringing back the house call. The idea is to reduce unnecessary ER visits, reduce stays in hospitals, and generally reduce healthcare costs by bringing clinicians to people's homes. You may have seen those beautifully branded dispatch health cars driving around Denver. The company is growing fast. It's fueled by demand for creative options to lower costs and fueled by over $400 million in venture funding. I've long described the U.S. healthcare system as an industry that would never have been conceptualized in the form in which it now exists. So I'm eager to discuss Dispatch Health with Mark. Mark, glad you could join me on Proco 360. Well, thanks for having me. Well, and let's start with a quick overview. I did my best, but why don't you give me and the listeners your take on Dispatch Health? Absolutely. Um, we are building the largest and most comprehensive system of medical care in the home, simply. We've put the patient back at the center and we've built a platform that delivers providers, the necessary equipment, any ancillary services like radiography to provide really complex medical care for patients who need it in their home. Um, this system of care really includes a comprehensive set of services that allows for uh, safe care patients at home, like low acuity telemedicine visits, high acuity on-demand home treatment that actually substitutes for an ER visit, in-home visits that can um, help transition out of the hospital, believe it or not, in-home hospitalization and in-home recovery, like a skilled nursing facility visit in the home. Uh, and today yeah. we're in 34 markets across the country and we'll serve hundreds of thousands of patients this year. That is an amazing sort of redefinition of healthcare. And I'm really looking forward. In fact, listeners, I'm going to ask Mark several questions. We're going to run through kind of quickly to get a really good take on what Dispatch Health is all about. And then we're going to dive deeper into some more, I think, what are kind of interesting aspects of the business. But first, I mean, you talk, Mark, about reducing unnecessary ER visits, hospital stays, readmissions. I mean, what do you treat and what don't you? I was kind of fascinated. Like if mm -hmm. you need stitches, you can call Dispatch Health. They'll come to you and do that. We can absolutely do that and we can do things that are a lot more complicated. Um, we'll get into it, I think, probably later. But my background is as an emergency medicine physician 
And I ran uh, groups that staffed hospital ERs, hospital wards, uh, hospital um, recovery facilities. And the dirty secret is that a lot of that care can safely be delivered uh, in the comfort of your own home. Well, to me, that's fascinating. It's super, I mean, I think it's great that you don't have to go run to the ER when you need things. I mean, what happens to all these ambulatory surgical, well, not surgical, that's different, but, you know, the urgent care centers, if, you know, you guys get to be as big as you want to be, are they unnecessary, essentially? Well, there are aspects of the healthcare system that will transition to a lower cost location of care delivery. And so, just for background, we spend about $4 trillion on healthcare today. And our system is ranked dead last among its peers in terms of outcome, value, and equity. I think we're approaching, what is it, 20% of GDP that we're about to spend? It's a lot. It's a lot, right? And and one third of that $4 trillion, it's actually spent on the delivery of healthcare in the traditional brick and mortar setting, ER visits, hospitalizations, and post-acute or post-hospital settings. So what if we could move that skill set that exists in those buildings into this lower cost setting, the home, do it for less, get better outcomes, and patients might like it more. Yeah, well, obviously we'd like it more, but I mean, how do you... You know, we got away with house calls in like the 1950s or something because it was inefficient. You'd have, instead of have all, all the sick people coming to one location and getting treated pop, 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 like an assembly line, you end up with, it's just inefficient. So, and you're sending two people to someone's house, uh, you're paying for supplies, you're operating. How can it possibly be cheaper? So it depends on how we look at efficiency. If efficiency in the current model, and you said it during your opening statement, um, is a system based upon utilization. So you keep using healthcare and we charge you every time we you use healthcare. Has nothing to do with the outcome or the value of the, the care that you purchased. What if we had the ability to deliver that care and reduce utilization after the delivery of care? So that's exactly what the science suggests, and we can dive into it more about why that happens. But when we deliver care in the home, there's an ability to plug gaps in care that are often social that prevent that unnecessary utilization in the future. Just think about when you're discharged from a hospital after a hospital stay. That plan of discharge fails almost 25% of the time, and you have to come back to the hospital after you've been discharged. That same sort of failure rate does not exist in the home. For patients who are hospitalized in the home, that readmission rate is somewhere between three to 5% compared to 20% to 25% in the building. That's pretty impressive difference. Still can't, (laughs) it, it just seems impossible that you could send a car, send two people to someone's house cheaper than they could be treated in a bricks and mortar, single come to us location. I, I must, be wrong about the math. Well, um, you're paying for a lot of service of that brick and mortar. You're paying for a lot of people on call that almost never get utilized. Uh, yeah. um, I started delivering medical care in the Denver market. I don't know. There was nine or 10 hospitals. And now it seems like we have an emergency room on every corner. Right. And many of those hospitals over time realized in order to compete, they needed to become centers of excellence, cardiac centers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And yeah. so, 
So now you've got to have a cardiologist on call to do a cath lab twice, uh, to do a cardiac cath twice. I thought that's, yeah, I thought, Mark, I thought that's why we went away from hospitals for everything. We went to urgent care centers to solve that exact problem. Um, Well, urgent care centers were never designed to treat high acuity issues, right? Um, They're really designed, um, frankly, to fill a void left by primary care docs who didn't stay open. Yeah. Um, like they used to and be called like they used to. So now, if really, if you had your way, Mark, yep. and I'm, I'm sorry, interrupting, if you had no, your no way, worries. I mean, if dispatch health got to be as big as it, as it can be, and most people could use it, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, then really there wouldn't be the need for so many urgent care centers. You'd actually have high acuity hospitals, and then you'd have people like dispatch health who would come to your house and take care of most things. There's probably room for everybody, but you're right. Everybody would become a bit more specialized. Yeah. So the hospitals would be used for what they were originally intended, which is surgeries and ICUs mm-hmm. and other cases would be treated in a different setting. So what does it cost? I mean, I, I've been to your website, so I know that you know a patient on Medicare pays about five bucks. If you've got insurance, you pay about 44. You don't have any insurance or whatever. It's a flat $275 fee, which in itself doesn't seem like very much either. Uh, so is, you know, you can, you make, and, and you got to make money at that. And, and we can. Um, and so essentially what we've got are several service lines, one of which is this on-demand ER substitution, which is the several hundred dollar reimbursement model. Um, oftentimes the, that hits the patient's urgent care benefit. Mm. So they actually yeah. experience an out-of-pocket that's similar to an urgent care. Got it. So if I, if, if one of my sons were to fall, get a cut that needs stitches, instead of taking him to urgent care, I would call dispatch health. You'd be reimbursed at a rate that makes it financially viable for you. That's right. Or yeah. even something more complex, like a patient with emphysema who's short of breath and maybe has a pneumonia. All of that can be addressed given our capabilities in the home. And you I think get that's there, the important. Sorry, go sorry, ahead. I think that's the important thing to realize is that what we're bringing is um, more complex than what you'll find in an urgent care. And I've run urgent cares before. Huh. So in that car, there is an, a moderate complexity lab. So there's levels of complexity. CLIA waived is what you'll typically find in an urgent care that allows you to do three, four, five different tests. Moderate complexity is essentially what you have in an emergency room, hmm. a much broader set of tests. And that's what actually comes into your home. Um, we and have you get, the, there, you get yeah. there within like an hour or two, Mark, right? And sometimes faster, but if someone's having a heart attack, they should call an ambulance. That's correct. And what we do on the front end is we have a tool that directs patients to the appropriate venue of care. Because as you've said, there are cases that truly belong in an emergency department. Yeah, yeah. Remember, I'm an ER doc. And, yeah. and, and that, that's, that's what I did for many years. So those cases are supposed to be there. But there are many cases um, that can successfully be treated in the home uh, for a much lower cost. This is super cool for me to know because I'd much rather have someone from Dispatch Health come to my house than me go to urgent care and know that it's covered by my insurance is awesome too. Do I need... Quick question. Yes or no. Do I need pre-approval for my insurance company? You do call Dispatch Health. Okay. As long as you're participating with them. All right. I want to dive in a lot deeper to the business. First, I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360, named Best Denver Podcast, three years running, and recently named 
best Colorado business podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Prather, CEO and co-founder of Dispatch Health. Thanks to our sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, and Digital Frontier Printing. All my sponsors support Colorado business and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Also, thanks to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco 360. All right. So, Mark, it sounds pretty cool. Listeners, you can go to dispatchhealth.com if you have more questions that Mark and I didn't already answer about sort of how this works. Uh, I, is that right, Mark? Dispatchhealth.com? That's correct. All right. So, backing up, you were an ER doc at uh, Denver General, which is, I've heard, if you're going to get shot in Denver, that's where you want to go. Uh, but how did this idea come to you? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it is a very personal idea and probably the direct result of my background and maybe even stage of my career. So you're right. I moved here in 1994 um, to train at what is was at the time called Denver General, now Denver Health. Uh, and I practiced in the community for over two decades. Um, I ran my own business, which was my practice. And, and I did everything from accounting to payroll to HR to you name it. Um, so I learned a little bit about running businesses. And then in parallel, I was building and participating in the building of other businesses, one of which was an early health tech company in Denver called iTriage. I don't know if you remember that, but back in say 2009-ish timeframe, um, it was right as the smartphone came out, and a friend of mine approached and said, I think we can use this to help patients navigate to the right venue of care, mm -hmm. to not get a bill that they don't need. Uh, right place, right care, right time. That was ultimately acquired by Aetna, but I learned a little bit about technology. Um, and then in business school, I studied logistics and queuing theory. And so you start to put all of that together and you've got this old mid-50s ER doctor who says, well, what do I want to do with my life? Um, and I wanted, frankly, to change the healthcare system. And, and back in 2008, the IHI, Institute for Healthcare Improvement, came out with a concept called the triple aim. Uh, said, if you're going to uh, change healthcare, you need to do three things. Reduce the total cost of care, improve outcomes, improve patient satisfaction. And later, we made it the quadruple aim where we added provider satisfaction. Yeah. And I felt like this model did it all. So, you know, this is... Um Every, every entrepreneur starts out with this, well, not every, but so many, you know, this change the world. Of course, most are young at the time, younger than <laughs> mid fifties, which you just described, you know, my idea is going to change the world. It's going to revolutionize everything. And, you know, the healthcare industry wasn't really begging, nor is it still being, you know, begging to be revolutionized. So, you know, how did you go from, okay, I want to do this thing. I want to send people back to, I want to send clinicians back to people's homes. Like what are the two or three sort of tranches of development that the company went through, including the funding, they got it from this idea to where you've actually got branded cars out there doing it. Yeah. I mean, that that's the key, right? Lot, lots of ideas out there, but you have to operationalize them. That that's, that's when it becomes a business. And so the beauty was that my whole career was as an operator and, and a lot of what I was expected to go do, I already knew how to do. I just had to break down some walls. And, and the timing was almost perfect in that, you know, I described that lab to you. I described where I didn't tell you, but we, we have an EKG. We can perform an ultrasound on an iPad. There's just things that we couldn't have done 10 years ago. That's why it was almost the perfect timing for this. 
The other thing that's happening, and you're hearing it in sort of the debate and the dialogue in the country, people want, you know, healthcare for all. Um, Don Berwick, who was the original um, uh, or the head of CMS under Barack Obama, and then he's, he was uh, the leader at the IHI when the Triple AIM came out, he basically says, like, that's a great idea, but you're going to have to tr- change the way that we pay for healthcare. And so this concept of paying fee for service, every time we do something to you, we get paid versus we get paid value, which means based on the outcome, we get paid. Yeah, but you're still fee for service. In a way. So every every reimbursement mechanism that we have is a bundled rate. And so if we go to your house and we spend five hours, we get paid the same rate. If we infuse every medicine in the car, we get paid the same rate. In our hospitalization model, we get paid less than a hospitalization and we take care of you for 30 days, not three. Hmm. And we you know, the, the reimbursement is based off the outcomes, that 4% readmission versus 20%. Yeah. So that reimbursement transformation, if we had been 10 years earlier, nobody would have listened to, you know, this, this lower cost delivery model. We, we just wouldn't have gotten anywhere. But given that, you know, we're in this sort of, you know, period of time where we're transforming yeah. a little bit, it's working. Well, let's go back to the early sort of innovation stage of what this thing was going to be. You know, I could see where you, a guy with your background could conceptualize, Hey, let's get pairs of people with proper equipment to go to people's homes and give them better care with less, uh, less readmission and all those less complications. Got it. That all makes sense. But at some point you had to start hiring people. You had to start getting the cars. You had to start, I mean, did did you have to? You probably did. You raise money at first, or did you just do it with your own money to get it started? And somebody had to pay for these services before the insurance companies bought in. Yeah. So um, this is back in say 2013. Uh, I was an EMS medical director, and uh, one of my agencies wanted to innovate, and they thought that this might be an interesting idea. So I funded this with my own capital for two years mm-hmm. and measured every aspect of the care delivery. So there was no outside funding. I just wanted to make sure that clinically the model worked. So you could route them through an existing clinic, but you personally picked up the tab to prove the concept. And the <laughs> all of the providers I paid for in the vehicle and I was on call, huh. not, not getting paid. So you're right. I, there were lots of blood, sweat, and tears that went into those first couple but, of years. Yeah, but that makes it that that answers the question I had, which is like, how do you start this thing? And really, what you said is you you put it on a platform of an existing practice, but you paid all the costs associated so that you didn't have to worry about insurance companies. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just footed the bill, and that was proof of concept. That was proof of concept. Yeah. Um, but you're right. In order to raise capital and to grow a business, you have to be able to get paid. Yeah. And so, so what um, was your first? What was your first tranche of funding? And who did you go to? Was it? It had for something you're talking about. It's not family and friends. It's probably a something bigger than that. Well, um, our seed round, which was 2015, was a group of friends. Mm-hmm. It just happened to be that my friends were also investors. Um, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. So my own dollars um, and and friends who who could potentially become larger investors later. 
yeah. funded the seed round. So what was that seed round? A million dollars, a couple million? Three million. Three million. All right. That makes sense because you got to get to where you have enough of a pattern developing to show, you know, essentially you've got to have some minimal, minimum proof of concept developing, right? That's exactly right. Our, our goal was to prove in, in this business, we use the word unit economics a lot so that a car in a day, back to your earlier point, could see a certain number of patients times a certain revenue number per patient number. And then the cost was such that a margin profile would ultimately work. Yeah. We're going to get to that margin in just a second. I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Prather, CEO and co-founder of Dispatch Health. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And don't forget to rate Proco360 in your app when you finish this episode. And so, uh, Mark, as you're thinking back um, on what you experienced, were there specific sort of times when you were building this business where you actually said, all right, this isn't working exactly what I thought. There were moments where you're like, I'm not sure if this is going to work at all. Any any specific <laughs> moments like that that come to mind? Um, there was a lot. Yeah. What's uh, a good example that like, oh it, man. Yeah. So I, I think about the, the first day post-venture funding. So our, our series A round where we raised not an insignificant amount of money, probably 20 million, um, and realized that before that, all of our patients had been coming through this EMS system. So there was sort of a built-in patient pool. Now day one opens, and then what? And the phone didn't <laughs> ring, right? We had no idea how to go out and drive patients uh, into this model. And I had run urgent cares, I had run ERs, but this was different. And it's our, like retail, they come to you in those exactly. models, but yeah. How do you, how do you activate patients? Um, and we've gotten really good at it over the years, but day one, I had no idea. Wow. Did you, did that just occur to you when you opened up and the phone didn't? No, work? we thought we were doing <laughs> so. the right, we thought we were doing the right pre-work. We obviously weren't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So were there obstacles other than the marketing piece, were there obstacles? Cause you're trying to change an industry. So, <laughs> yeah. right. So what obstacle weren't you anticipating that you learned the hard way as you like got into this? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a list of, of things. I mean, if, if you think back, uh, there was no uh, reimbursement mechanism for any of the things we wanted to do. Nothing. Well, that's tough. That's, <laughs> that's tough. a tough place to start. Today we are, we have access to 130 million lives across the country. Mm. And, and we created the reimbursement mechanism for every one of those services that I mentioned to you. That was a lift. Um, think about the technology. You're, to your earlier point, it is a lot easier to drive people into a building and have them wait in a waiting room than to arrive there in, in sort of the right time. And so we had to build from scratch because nothing exists a technology platform that that triaged risk stratified the patients and then applied a logistics model to get the you know the provider there in the right time wow that's a big lift isn't it it's a really big and lift. you have to do it fast and you have to yeah. do it right because if you do and, it wrong you're going to get sued sorry i shouldn't even building, say that word 
Oh, sure. I mean, <laughs> it, it, my whole background is in risk management. So I yeah. think a lot about that. And, yeah. and so this model is incredibly safe because of probably the way that I grew up, right? But you know, yeah, but okay, what are you doing about, let's face it, America, one of the reasons American healthcare is so messed up is because we don't want healthcare delivered based on science. We want it based on what we want. Right. And, and so how do you deal with that? Well, I, and I don't, I don't know that that's entirely true. Um, oh, good. I, I, I think that given the time, a good clinician can, um, can, can get everyone uh, to come around to, to the science. Yeah. And, and in this model, we have more time. And we have uh, yeah, more yeah. personal experience. And so that makes sense. You're one-on-one in someone's yep. home. You can, that's right. You can counsel them as opposed to just deliver care. That's, that's right. And where, yeah. where you get into trouble and, you know, when in my last, you know, couple of years in the ER, we did a time study, the average ER doc spent 11 minutes with a patient, hmm. 11 minutes. Right. And, yeah. and a lot of that is broken up where you're just running in the room mm-hmm. and then you're writing yeah. a discharge plan that, you don't really know has any chance of that being fulfilled. It's it's not the ideal place to deliver care. And to be, to be clear, you're not sending docs, you're sending a physician assistants. They're well-trained people, but they're not doctors. We do send doctors as well. So in the ER model, what you've got is a board certified ER doc that's available via telemedicine. Mm. And in the home, you have a nurse practitioner and PA as the main caregiver Mm -hmm. supported by a technician. In the hospitalization or recovery model, a physician is actually going to the home. Got it. Now, you mentioned, um, you know, that you you had a challenge early on because you 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 weren't great at marketing direct to consumer at that point, figuring Mm -hmm. it out. So, who are you selling to? I mean, are you selling to insurance companies? Selling to consumers? Uh, What you know? How do you market? So, this is a quadruple aim company. Our goal is to reduce the total cost of care while improving outcomes. And if you look at where the largest um, number of dollars are spent, it's on a population that is a high medical needs population Mm -hmm. and a high social needs population. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, that's our people. Uh, Now we can see anybody and take care of anybody, but that's the group that we concentrate on. Well, sometimes those populations are even harder to reach, aren't they? That's absolutely. But they're also the folks who don't, typically get good access to care. Hmm. So this almost feels like a concierge offering, even though it's not, it's meant for everyone. Um, but it is, it is really adopted quickly once you get to those patients. And so we do work with payers. We work with provider groups that are taking care of those type of populations, like primary care groups. We work with home health agencies, senior living facilities, hmm. Um, you name it, uh, those community organizations where those yeah. patients. Are. Wow. See, I mean, you know, it's a combination, I would think of, of B2B sales, community relations. I mean, all these things, but B2B to C. Yeah. yeah how interesting. Yep. So to be clear, just for listeners, I mean, I, I'm curious about this too. I've got, I've got uh, insurance through my employer. Do I, do I just go onto your website and say, oh, there's your, you use my insurance too. And so if I ever need you, I can just call you. I don't have to do anything else other than just call you. That's correct. And in, in Colorado, I'd have to check, but I believe we're contracted with a 100% of all managed care plans in Colorado. Wow. 
So any listener in Colorado likely can use Dispatch Health by just calling you. That's correct. They need your services. What happens if they call you for something that turns out to be like, like I have a cold. Can you come over? Yep. So we are always trying to right size care to get you sort of the right level of care. So we may navigate you to a lower cost option. On the other hand, you know, this may be your only option. Um, And, and, you know, and so we'll work through that. Yeah. All right. Let me ask a bit about the money part. Mm-hmm. Um, because look, let's face it, investors are super excited about your projections that you're going to save $2 billion in medical costs by 2023. That's not even far away. So they're, and they're throwing, they've thrown over $400 million at funding. Uh, so it, with the latest valuation, $1.7 billion. So that means investors think that either Dispatch Health is going to be massively profitable and huge or that at least you're going to go public. So how does your model play out? I mean, that's a, those are big dollars. This is a really big idea and a massive, <laughs> and a massive total addressable market, right? If we go back to that yeah. $1.3 trillion of spend, if we say 60% of ER visits, 25% of hospitalizations, and 20% of post-acute stays can be taken care of in the, in the home, that's a $320 billion addressable market. Wow. Annually, um, as, annually. A, as a recurring revenue stream. That's right. Yeah. And we've had a growth rate that is unparalleled, 174% um, CAGR mm. uh, since 2017. Mm. And yeah. our patient net promoter score, and this is over hundreds of thousands of patients now, is a 95. That is amazing because in healthcare, my understanding is net promoter score is usually negative. <laughs> so, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I think it is. No, you're, of, you're, you're yeah. spot on. And, and I, I was surprised early on at how consistent this was because I thought, well, we're, we're doing it in Colorado and maybe that there's something unique about Colorado, but we are now in places like Springfield, Massachusetts, hmm. Olympia, Washington, um, Atlanta, Georgia. How many Oklahoma employees State. do you have now? Are these employees- all employees- the they are all employees. Yeah. So how many do you have now? Uh, we're approaching 2000. Wow. That's a good size. I mean, that's a good size company. Now, you know, as you take a look um, at where you think you'll be in five years, if you're growing at a hundred and over hundred percent a year uh, in five years, do you expect that growth to slow down or even accelerate? It, you know, our model is it slows down because it gets harder to grow at that pace, right? Yeah. At, at, that at some size. point. Yeah, but there's no reason that you know fifty percent, sixty percent year over year growth can't happen. Yeah. Now you um, must be attracting competitors uh, because when they see the models working, it's you know, I mean, I, I would think even insurance companies might want their own their own model or, or health plans, not health plans, but uh, big provider networks might want their own then models that compete with you. Is that taking the fun out of it? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, because we don't really have any competitors yet. Um, Oh, but you will. You but know the big health, spot the big on. provider networks are going to yep. just create their own thinking. They can do it. Yep. And so, what's interesting is, you know, back in 2013 when I started socializing this, I, people looked at me like I had three heads. Socializing medicine? You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> socializing this idea um, nowadays, like moving care to the home is, you know, it's fashionable. Let's just say. That said, it's fashionable in a manner that is 
uh, more simple than we've done. Let's say that. So very low acuity. Uh, somebody comes to your home with a stethoscope in a very scheduled manner. Yeah. So we decided to tackle the hard stuff, which is on demand, yeah. you know, when the accidents happen, the moment you're mm-hmm. sick, uh, which really nobody's replicated. And that's because it is really, really hard. And, you know, we just hired the former chief product and head of marketplace at Uber, right? To sort mm. of take it to the next level. Um, the, we're solving really, really hard problems that aren't easy to replicate. Wow. That's super cool. Now, you know, you seem like a really nice guy, pretty calm guy. Uh, you know, you're starting, you know, this company now has pressure of over $400 million of investor money, you know, building a whole new thing. You're disrupting an industry. So what's your life look like now? Hmm. So, so my life has been busy for 20 years. Yeah, and- but we don't want you now calling Dispatch Health for stress related <laughs> stuff. As you said, though, I still look calm. That's that's part of the ER doctor demeanor. This feels no different to me than walking into an emergency room daily. Um, we, I walk in, I triage problems, I fix problems, and uh, I go home and try to enjoy my family. You know, but it, to, since you mentioned that comparison, you know, it, to me, it, it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like a perfect fit in the comparison because when you go into an ER, you really are fixing stuff that's broken as fast as you can. But come on, a business leader, really, that's not your job to fix everything that's broken. Your, lead, your, your job is to lead people, to build teams. It's way different than you know a mile a minute fix stuff. They're completely different skills. Hmm. I, I don't know that I agree. Think about like how do you bring a lab to the home? That's a problem you have to solve. How do you get reimbursed? That's a problem you solve. All, all you do are fix things. Now, hmm. the further along you go, there's more maintenance, right? And my yeah. job these days is a lot more maintenance, encouragement, culture, that kind of thing. Yeah, but the, those things you didn't have to worry, or did you worry about those as an ER doc? Team building, sure. culture. Absolutely. Remember, I ran my own companies back then as well. Yeah. Um, so this is this has just been part of what I've been doing for a long time. The other piece of being an ER doc that's useful here, ER docs often don't have all the information. They're really good at solving a problem with a minimal data set. And fast. And fast. And, and making the right decision more often than not. So if you think about an entrepreneur in medicine, you'll find a lot of ER docs as, as the founders. And I think that's one of the reasons. You know, that actually is a pretty cool way to think about it because you're right as obviously you're right, you're doing it, but the, you know, uh, that entrepreneurs who try to be right all the time just (laughs) get stuck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Hmm. Last question for you. You know, you are focusing on, well, actually you told me when we talked briefly before that this company for you is about even more than that, those quad benefits, the Holy Grail of providing healthcare oh, at a lower cost, better care, higher patient satisfaction, higher provider satisfaction. You said those four, but you, but you said there was something even deeper, more, more about this for you. What is that? Well, I, I think, I think a lot of that is, um, something that I was, was unaware of. Um, and I, I had some, you know, own challenges with my own family where, where maybe the outcomes were not as good in the hospital setting. And uh, just to be honest with you, I, I, I didn't know that that was actually a body of literature 
There's a whole literature out there called a set of literature called aging in place that that basically says there are times where we put especially a senior in the hospital setting and we may no, do more harm than good. And so that became somewhat of a passion of mine, realizing, you know, as an old hospital doctor that I may have been doing more harm than good in certain instances and thinking about what are the right patients in the right venue of care so that I can get the best outcome. So that's, again, it goes back to the quadruple aim, but it became sort of personal in that mm. regard. Well, thank you. And speaking of aging in place, if we don't wrap up here, that's exactly what you and I will both be doing. <laughs> so uh, let's do that. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Dr. Mark Prather, CEO and co-founder of Dispatch Health. Mark, thank you. It's I was so looking forward to to this conversation and understanding exactly sort of how you're approaching this whole new market. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. It's great. Listeners, thanks for joining me and Dr. Mark Prather on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, Digital Frontier Printing, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show, Live, Work, Love Colorado. Colorado.